Good morning. Um, I'm really excited for what we have ahead of us these next few weeks. We're going to be looking um, each Sunday um, up until Palm Sunday at this parable um, commonly referred to and, and known most known by most of you probably as the prodigal son. Um, and it's this great story of a, a, a son who has abandoned his family and then is received back with open arms. What we fail to often notice, I think, is that there's actually two sons in this parable. There's the son who runs off and comes back and is <laughs> celebrated. But then there's the older son, the older brother. Um, he doesn't run off. He always does the right things, and he's a good boy. When the younger son comes back, when his brother comes back, he's bitter and he's angry. And we don't know what happens to him. That's the parable we'll be looking at um, this week. Before we get ahead of ourselves, or um, let's, let's not this week, but this series is the prodigal son. But before we get ahead of ourselves, um, just to note, we're going to be using this book by Timothy Keller, The Prodigal God, to assist us as we look at this parable. This is um, a fantastic book, and Keller does a great job of unpacking this parable, and we hope to reflect some of that on Sunday mornings. Um, and so what we're doing then is we're going we're to take this journey together. We want you all to have a copy of this book. We want you to read this book. We want you at some point um, in the next few weeks to, to find a small group that you can read the book with, that you can discuss. And, and we're going to facilitate all of that, and you've heard about that, and you'll hear more um, and, and that'll come up again. But, but how, how are you going to join us in this? How will you join us? Because this is a journey we're going to take as a church. Why? Because we want to be a church. We want to be a family that knows the grace of God, but not one that simply knows it, but one that can extend it, that can offer it into this world. So, so if we don't do this, if we can't do this sort of inward reflection, and guys, I'm going to tell you right now, it will be very hard. You'll probably realize things about yourself that you don't want to know. I'm not trying to scare you away, just being honest. If we can't do that, though, if we can't reflect on ourselves, there's, there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to step out of this room and share the grace of God with others. There's no way we'll be able to fulfill our mission, what? To impact the world in Jesus' name. And so we're going to do this, this self-reflection on the prodigal God. The prodigal God. Now, why? Why, are you, why is it titled that? What a strange title. Um, right here, um, at the beginning, towards the beginning of my book, um, there's a definition for prodigal. Recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. Recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. Now, in one sense, yes, that describes the younger son who received his father's inheritance, went out to a far country, blew it all, was wishing he could eat the food the pigs were eating, and comes back. He was recklessly extravagant. And he spent everything. But if we use that word prodigal just to describe the one son, we lose track of two major characters in the story. The older son and the father. The prodigal God. Think about our God who 
in many ways, is recklessly extravagant chasing after us, the lost. And did he not spend everything, even his own life, to get us back? So that's where we are and where we're going, this idea of the prodigal God. So today, our task then is to set the stage. What is, what's happening? What's going on in Luke, in this passage? Um, who's Jesus talking to? That's a very important question to ask. Who is Jesus talking to? So I don't maybe you have your Bibles. Um, it'd be great if you brought it. Maybe you, you think, you know what, I should bring my Bible to church more. Um, this would be a great time to do it. Next six, seven weeks. You could bring your Bible to church, but if not, if you have a phone, that works too. No angry birds. Um, but we'll always have it up on the screen right behind me as well. So we're in Luke chapter 15, if you're following along. This, um, this chapter has three parables. We read two of them this morning. The lost sheep, the lost coin. The very next parable, maybe it should be called the lost brother. Or is it the lost brother's? We'll get to that. The lost sheep and the lost coin. But, but even <coughs> before we get to the parables, the first two verses are extremely important. Who is Jesus talking to? Who is around Jesus? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So you see it straight up. There's two types of folks around Jesus. There are the tax collectors and the sinners, and there are the scribes and the Pharisees. First, tax collectors and sinners. These are the outcasts of Jewish society. They have rejected God. They've rejected the moral laws of Scripture. They are living in the right here and the right now. Perhaps you could call them younger brother types. They are extravagantly living, or maybe not even that extravagant, but they are certainly... Certainly, in a far country, far from God, and these people are hanging out around Jesus. So let's just consider, for instance, a tax collector. Um, you know, it's going to be that time of year, time to pay the tax man. Who's really excited about that? Anybody? Maybe there's a tax collector in here, and you'd be excited. But... Um, Nobody really likes to pay taxes. We have to, and, and, and there are plenty of good things come out of them, but it, it's not a necessarily fun thing. Now, consider this. These tax collectors were Jewish, but they were working for the Roman government, the Roman Empire. And here's how they made their living. They had to go and um, collect the money to pay to Rome, but they didn't get like a salary. The money they got to bring home was anything and everything they could gather on top of the actual tax. And so, for instance, if the tax was $5, if the tax collector could get you to pay $10, he got to pocket half of it. See how that works? They were not very popular people. Zacchaeus, a wee little man, you remember him? He was a tax collector. Um, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he was a tax collector. Um, but in terms of the general Jewish society, they were, not, um, they were not welcome. Or how about the sinners, tax collectors and sinners? Drunks, prostitutes, criminals. 
These were the sinners. And they had long ago rejected God. They had long ago rejected any sort of civilized boundaries of moral behavior. They were outside. They had a fast life. They had wild living younger brother types perhaps as well. Compared then to the Pharisees and the scribes, the other people listening to Jesus, these were the Jewish elite. These were the religious people. They never failed to miss worship. They never failed to memorize their scripture. They never failed to know every single thing they were supposed to do and not supposed to do. And they lived it out to a T. These were morally upright and holy people. And along with the sinners and the tax collectors, they're all listening to Jesus. Now, there's another important thing about these people. It's not just that they're there, but they're each doing two different things. First of all, tax collectors and sinners, what are they doing? Verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They were coming to see Jesus. Jesus and his message was attracting these sinners. Now, this isn't sort of a one-way attraction where Jesus is like, no, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. No. Jesus says, come. Come and eat with me. Come and dine with me. Share in the most intimate moments of my life at this, at this meal. Let me heal you. Let me serve you. Jesus welcomed these outcasts. How dare you? He welcomed them. And yet, we have the Pharisees. What were they doing? Verse 2. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Can't you see them? I, I can see these throngs of people coming toward, towards Jesus and, and slightly removed if Jesus is here. I can see, see these scribes and Pharisees like this. He eats with those people. He talks to them. He welcomes them. They're grumbling. What a great word. They're they're grumbling about what Jesus is doing. And so we we set the stage. We've got um, unholy younger brother types, holy older brother types. The unholy ones are drawn to Jesus. The holy ones are repelled by him. What is going on? Tim Keller says um, in this book, Jesus is teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of the day. He attracted the irreligious and he offended the religious people. And this is what is fascinating and this is very hard to hear. The church today, for the most part, is opposite. The church today, for the most part, attracts the holy and religious people and repels the ones who are sinners, repels the tax collectors, repels the younger brothers. That's very hard to hear. Very hard for us to hear. And, and I'm using blanket statements, okay, so, so it doesn't apply to everybody. It doesn't apply to every church, but in general, that is the perception, and, and, and I think mostly that perception is right. 
the church has somehow got this thing flipped up for some reason. And so Keller concludes this. If the preaching of our ministers, ouch, if the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Got that? If the preaching of the ministers, that's me, the practice of the parishioners, that's you, do not have the same effect that Jesus' message have, then we must be preaching the wrong message. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be full, more full of elder brothers than we like to think. They must be more full of elder brothers than we like to think. Are we elder brothers? Probably, yes. We might have been younger brothers at one point. We might still be. There's probably an elder brother hiding in there somewhere. We've got to find him. We'll get to that. So, this message then of Jesus, is, is, we've established, is attracting the unholy people, repelling the holy ones. What is it? What is it about this message that's so attractive to, um, to, the, to the tax collectors and sinners, but so appalling to the Pharisees? Well, let's consider Jesus' message in these parables. Because if you look in verse 2 and verse 3, this is important. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling, right? Um, this man... Uh, receives sinners and eats with them. They were grumbling. What does Jesus do? So, we see that in verse 3, a very important word. So, he told them this parable. Because they were grumbling, because they were self-righteous, Jesus did this. He told them this parable. And he actually tells them three. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost brothers. The message is in this lostness. In the lostness of the sheep, in the lostness of the coin, in the lostness of the brothers, we see a prodigal God, if you will. A prodigal shepherd who abandons his sheep to find the one lost sheep. A prodigal widow, woman, who, who turns her house upside down to find her one lost coin. A prodigal God who gives everything to find his lost people. What then is the message? Well, we want to look at two sides of this. There's the lost, the things that are lost, and then there's the, um, the people that are seeking them, the lost we, we, we see a sheep and a coin, and, and they don't have a lot in common, but they do have one thing in common. Neither of them can find their owner by themselves. The coin is quite obvious. The coin's not going to get up and roll to the bank. The sheep, they're really cute. The sheep are really cute. Um, they're not smart. They're, they're, they may be really, they might be one of the least smart animals around, at least, you know, per per pound. They're pretty, pretty dumb. <laughs> the sheep runs away. He just, he just runs away. And he's not coming home. Even when the shepherd comes to get him, it's not like your dog and you say, come here, boy, and the, the sheep runs and like licks your face. No, he runs away. He does not want to come home. The shepherd, what happens in the parable? The shepherd grabs the sheep, throws him over his shoulders, and brings him home back to his flock and sets them down, and he throws a huge party. That sheep, can, he's not coming home by himself. The coin is not coming home by itself. The, the lady throws the house upside down to find that one lost coin. 
and celebrates. And those of us who are lost from God, who are separated from Him, we've got to realize we can't come home by ourselves. It's not going to happen. God has to come and get us. And he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And and he's prodigal because he gives up his son. He is overly extravagant. He gives up everything for his lost sheep, for his lost coin, for his two lost sons. He gives it up. And so we see the seeker. The heart of the seeker is is this sort of desire and longing for his lost. Um, I have lots of kids. There were five last time I counted. Um, my youngest is Lydia. She's one. Um, she is amazing. She thinks she's really funny. And she doesn't always like to sleep. And so the other night, she was awake, you know, let's say around 2.30. Um, and about two hours of not getting her to go to bed led us to the conclusion that um, a young child and two parents with no sleep is a bad idea. And so I took Lydia, and I brought her downstairs. And she was very happy playing on the floor. And I just, you know, sat, maybe I laid down on the couch. Then I woke up. And she was gone. And you know that sort of that feeling when you wake up and you're in an unfamiliar place? Y'all, y'all been there? And you're like, first thing is, where am I? The second thing is, yeah, there's a baby on the floor. And the third thing is, oh, my gosh, the baby is not there. And I was terrified. Of course, then I, I, I peeked around the corner, and she was giggling and as happy as she could be. She thought, she thought we were playing hide-and-seek, I guess. I mean, she thought it was really funny. But, but that moment, that moment, and that split second, I came to my senses pretty quick, but that split second when she was gone and I didn't know where she was, was terrifying. And God sees us lost and helpless, He's terrified. And he will stop at nothing. He will stop at nothing, not even at death itself, to find his lost children. And so here's what we have to realize as we go through this study. Um, This world and everything that's thrown at us is going to say something like this. Religion is man's search for God. So, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, atheism, anything. Anything we're doing is us searching for God. Now, the message of Jesus Christ is that God is searching for you. God is searching for you. Each and every person in this room, younger brother, older brother, it does not matter. God is looking for you and will stop at nothing to find you. And so we're going to go into this study and we're going to look at this this parable. The next few weeks we're we're going to go to the next parable, the parable of the two lost sons. And we're going to realize that, that both of these boys are lost. The one who leaves and comes back and the one who was there the whole time. They are both lost. And, and I sincerely hope and I sincerely pray that we have some younger brother types here this morning. I, I really hope that. Um, and the message is this. Come home. 
come home. God is searching for you. He wants to find you and bring you home. But I'm guessing, because you're here on Sunday, most of you are probably elder brother types. You're near the Father. You know the Father. You maybe were were a younger brother at some point, and and there's probably still part of you that wants to be a younger brother, but but you probably have some older brother in you. And you've got to realize that. You've got to recognize that. What is it about our lives, about what we say and about what we do, that is going to proclaim the message of Jesus so that those who are lost, those who are, are, are clearly far from God, will know that God is looking for them and searching for them. That's what you have to ask yourself. That's what we want to ask ourselves this week, this, these, this month, these, these, um, this Lent. We'll search our hearts. Where's that older brother? Maybe for some of you, where's that younger brother? He's in there too. But for most of you, for me, where's that older brother? God wants to find him too and redeem him. And restore him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you stopped at nothing to recover your lost children. Not even death could stop you. So bring us home. Draw us near to you. Bring us into the great celebration where younger brothers and older brothers and sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees, redeemed Pharisees, where we're all partying together. Bring us to that party, Lord Jesus. Redeem us and restore us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, as we journey through this parable, I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted And that we would be enabled to proclaim your gospel of grace. And we ask this in your name. Amen.